This Week at Hope Point. Moses is basically asking, I want to see that. I want to see all your power. And I want to say two things about that request. No one in the Bible has ever prayed like Moses. No one. It's the greatest prayer ever prayed. I want to see everything. I mean, we're so discouraged and so depressed and dealing with so much grief and worries. We barely get out any prayers at times. And Moses, in the midst of all of that, is asking, I want to see all of you, God. It's the greatest prayer ever prayed. It's amazing. This man has already seen, what, 10 natural disasters, the parting of the Red Sea, the Shekinah glory of God burning up the top of Mount Sinai, and said, I want to see more. Every servant of God will eventually face a crisis that will cause them to lose confidence that they can finish the assignment that God has called them to. When the Old Testament leader Moses saw the disastrous choices that his people were capable of making, he poured out his heart to God for help. In fact, he asked God for an answer that was so large that no person has ever requested that much of God. The Lord's response once again reveals that He is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's holy word. I want to thank all of you so much for the the kind thoughts and prayers that you have extended to our family as mom transitioned from earth to heaven by the Lord's decision. Uh, We're grateful for the 89 years of refreshing, uh, joy enlarging, uh, strength building influence from her life. As some of you know, the uh, the past seven years of mom's life were a struggle uh, with dementia. Uh, It was moderate, and we're grateful that it didn't reach a point beyond moderate. So her memory was uh, greatly affected, but but she still remembered us. And none of us like uh, anything in terms of dementia and Alzheimer's. But there was a silver lining in this cloud, and that is because mama forgot so many things, everything was new to her all the time. So whenever I would go down to North Augusta and take her out, I would always take her to the same place. I would take her to the Savannah River, uh, and there's a couple subdivisions that are fairly new, I mean 20 years old, uh, but new in terms of the history of the city. And every time we would drive there, mama would say, oh, how marvelous. When did they start building? all of this on the river. And so she approached life um, like a child who was seeing the ocean for the first time, every time. And so we were grateful for that. I'll say more about her forgetfulness later. But what I want to do today is to talk about a forgetfulness that was not good because it doesn't have anything to do with a def- um, a defect in the mind. It has to do with a deformity of the heart. It's the day when God's people forgot God. It's the lowest point ever in the history of Israel. And here is the background to that moment. The nation of Israel had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. God had sent 10 natural disasters on the land of Egypt to get their attention. After number 10, Egypt said to Israel, we're going to release you and you can go. Now you would think after 10 plagues, 10 uh, disasters that come upon a land, a lot of death in that, that they would have kept their promise. 
Sort of like you would think that after COVID has done what it's done to the world and to this nation, people would be flocking to church and back to God. How easily and quickly we forget. Very few are coming to God. Nor did Egypt remember. As soon as Israel got out of sight, the Egyptian army turned, chased them to the Red Sea, and was about to slaughter them until God performed the greatest miracle in the history of the Old Testament. The Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the water being a wall to them on their right hand and to their left. That's definitely a DVD I'm going to rent, rent in heaven. I love that scene, ocean on one side, ocean the other, dry land right in the middle of the sea. Well, the Bible says that as soon as Israel got through, God crashed the waters down on the pursuing Egyptian army. The Jewish historian Josephus tells us that in all likelihood, 250,000 soldiers from the Egyptian army were, were, were drowned that day. After arriving on the other side of the land, God's people held a worship service of gratitude for the deliverance. And then they began a three-month-long journey to a mountain called Sinai, Mount Sinai, which is in modern-day Saudi Arabia. So while all the people were camped in front of the mountain, their leader Moses went on top of the mountain. This is the first thing God told him. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. A beautiful metaphor of God's love for people. Here a mother uh, eagle is, realizes her, the baby birds are too weak to fly and she puts them on her on her back and she carries them. She flies because they can't fly. It's what God wants to do for all of us. Beautiful. Then God continues his uh, reminder of his love. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for the whole earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and holy nation. When God says you're to be my treasured possession, that's what kings, all kings in this time, called a box of jewels they kept next to their throne. They called it their treasured possession, their segula. It was the favorite thing they owned of all the thousands of acres was their jewels by the throne. And he said, Israel, I've got plans for the whole world, but you out of all the people, are the, you're the nation that I'm going to use to introduce my name to the world. I've chosen you, Israel. If you want to be part of my plan, I want you to be part of my, my plan. So after God announced this plan to carry out his global mission through Israel, it was time to give them his law. They didn't know who he was. They didn't know God's character. So once again, Moses went up the mountain. And it was quite an experience. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire and the whole mountain trembled greatly. Love our God who can make a mountain shake. Have you ever seen a mountain shake? It's on fire at the top, clouds, thunder, lightning, trumpets, and God meeting with Moses because it's going to be the first time in history that God had ever spoken the Ten Commandments. 
And every law that's in the Bible, everything that Jesus uttered was based on God's first 10 revelations of himself in the commandments. And I want to give you a spoiler alert. The first uh, thing he said was, do not make for yourselves any gods of silver or gods of gold. I'm the only God there is in the world. There are no other gods. So don't try to make a God out of silver or gold. So the people heard this and they said, sounds good to us. Exodus 24, 3, when Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they said, oh, okay, yeah. Just like church, we do. Everything the Lord says, we will do. Nobody would really admit, I'm, I'm planning on leaving this place rebelling. Then God returned to the mountain. Um, I mean, then Moses returned to the mountain. He held a sacrifice of animals, sprinkled blood on the people, went back up to the mountain. Because this time, God was not just going to speak the Ten Commandments, but he was going to actually write them on stone tablets. Sort of like putting it on the hard drive. Until then, it had sort of been in the cloud. But now it was on... Or it was on the hard drive. And God told the people, while Moses is with me, or Moses told the people, I'm going up a second time. There are going to be some helpers down here to help you with problems you may encounter. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. So there's a major principle there that if, if I'm ever on top of the roof of this building getting a big time sermon, you're not to bother me. There will be staff members who can take care of your needs, but let me receive the great message from God. And then Moses now, for the second time up the mountain, really had a very extended stay with God. Moses entered the cloud as he went on the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, this is where the story gets interesting, because when God gave the Ten Commandments, Moses wasn't up there all that long. But in this period of 40 days, God is giving instructions on how he is to be worshipped. It's very interesting that worship is so important to God, how he is to be honored and how he is to be loved and approached. He spends 40 days explaining that to Moses. It was a bit too long for the people to have that much instruction on something as insignificant to them as worship. Exodus 32, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Now just think about this. God is laying out a plan for what he's going to do in the world for the next 4,000 years and they can't even wait 40 days for a 4,000 year plan. In your service to God, there will be times when he asks you to wait longer than you think is necessary. Greater tasks require greater preparation. 40 days. 40 days and they said, we can't wait. You know, it's amazing. When life is full of blessings, we trust in God's wisdom when life is filled with uncertainty, we trust our wisdom. Give us some gods, Aaron. 
when circumstances point to uncertainty, the thing that you go to at that time is what you really trust in all along. So you grow impatient with God's plans. You know what we're telling God? You're reliable to get the thing started, but you're unreliable to finish it. We need somebody else. Let me tell you something. When you are in the valley and it's very silent in the valley, don't interpret that as the absence of God. He is on the mountain working fiercely on your behalf. There's fire on the mountain, lightning, thunder, smoke, trumpets on the mountain. And he's coming back down for you. He's just asking you to wait. People didn't believe that God would come back down. So they went to Aaron. Aaron answered them, well, well, take the gold earrings off that your wives are wearing, your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. And so all the people took off the earrings and brought them to Aaron. And he took what they handed and made into an idol cast in the shape of a calf fashioning it with a tool, then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of of Egypt. Now remember, Aaron had been assigned what? He was the one that was to handle disputes. And now he is a self-appointed manager of the idol factory. How could the people do this? Well, uh, as I said at the beginning, they were suffering from spiritual dementia. They forgot what God had done the day before. When you forget that God has done great things in the past, you will doubt that he will do great things in the future. And you will place all of your trust in you. Or in the case of Israel, you'll place all of your trust in a metal cow. They trust, they they, they exchanged devotion to a living God for a metal cow. And said, this is our hope. It sounds tragic to us. It didn't sound tragic to them at all. In fact, they thought it was hilarious. The next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings, and afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. That's a, revelry is a party word. It's an out of control uh, time of laughing. It was a gross kind of party, shameless, not a whiff of guilt. You ever make decisions and you wonder, should I have done that? No second guessing on their part. It was so obscene that even the surrounding peoples saw it. The people were running wild, out of control, a laughing stock to their enemies. So the godless nations around them watched the people of God depart from God. I've told you before, you can blame all the stuff that's going on in America on on a lot of things, but I have a feeling that one of the reasons for empty churches is maybe the world is watching how the church lives. If you want to know how depraved the human heart is, there you have it. 
just a few days before God had given the Ten Commandments. And uh, number one and two said, no other gods, no idols. I mean, it's not like they forgot number 586 and 587. They forgot one and two. Their hearts were very hard. The most frightening part of this is the trembling reminder that God had watched it all. And God had told Moses about it on the mountain. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. And they have bowed down to it. And I have seen everything. There's a lot of people in our land right now laughing at their rebellion against God. They laugh at morality, using words and sentences to construct new gods to approve of their new morality, which is no morality. And they're so intoxicated by the world that they're very comfortable with their decision And they forget that the creator to whom they will give an account one day has seen it all. We can deny God and we can forget God, but the one thing we can't do is escape God. When we don't see him, he sees us. Well, if you keep reading the story, some pretty big things happen because of their rebellion And uh, it's too much to read, so I'll just give you a summary of it. Um, Moses, on his way down the mountain, when he saw the party, he smashed the Ten Commandments. I would imagine it would be a decision he regretted lately. I got mad at my daughter in high school and threw her cell phone against a wall. That was an expensive decision. (laughs) That was probably regrettable there. Then he burned all of their idols and he smashed it to dust and made the people eat the dust. And then he ordered the execution of the leaders, about 3,000 of them. And then God sent some type of sickness or plague among, among the people. So at the end of that frenzy, Moses became very uh, concerned because he thought, This cannot end well. Now there is nothing to do. This whole plan is going to go bust. And he became afraid that God's plan was was now over. But as you read the next chapter, God told Moses, No, keep leading the people to the land that I promised. Sort of catches you off guard. God says, No, keep leading them, Moses. So for a moment, you go, well, you're good. But then the bombshell comes with God's announcement. You keep leading them, but I'm not going with you. God said, Exodus 33, 2, I will send an angel before you, and and that angel will drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, and Hittites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, so it's good land. But I will not go with you. Because you are a stubborn people and I might destroy you on the way. So God says, I'm a promise keeper. I promised you land. I'm going to give you land. But you are going to live in that land alone. 
Because that's the way you want it. Which is very similar to the current state of America. We want to be blessed by God, but not accountable to God. We want his prosperity, but not his presence. Moses didn't know what to do at this point. I mean, how do you do something for God when God's saying, I'm not going to be part of it? (laughs) So Moses prayed. Verse 15, Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? Let's love this prayer. God, if, if it ends right here, then the whole world is going to see that you cannot use sinners in your plan. You have no desire to use sinners in your plan. But God, if you stay with this plan, the whole world will see that me, weak little Moses, in all of my inabilities, has been loved by God and that I was given success because you are a God who gives success to people who don't deserve it. Please, God, let the world know that you will give yourself to those who don't deserve you. I love the tenderness in God's response. Verse 17, and the Lord said, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Some of you really need to take that verse for yourself. I know you by name. You need to believe that. Well, Moses got so excited at this point. He said, wow, I've caught God on a prayer answering day I think I'm going to ask for the whole ball of wax and he does then Moses said show me your glory so what's he asking for here well you can't really appreciate that till you really understand what the glory of God is this will be a good working definition for us today the glory of God is the visible display of God's invisible greatness you got to think about that. Anybody in this room able to see God today? I can't. I mean, it's like, I don't know. I, he's here. I can't see him. And I've gotten a lot of hugs today, and I'll get more after the second service. I like that. But they won't be for, I can't hug God. I can't touch him. God is invisible, and he's immaterial. That's why we say God is spirit. Real, but invisible and immaterial. You can't touch him. So how do you know who, how do you know about him? Well, he displays himself through the visible, through waterfalls and through volcanoes, through thunderstorms. Wow, God is powerful. So Moses is basically asking, I want to see that. I want to see all your power. And I want to say two things about that request. No one in the Bible has ever prayed like Moses. No one. It's the greatest prayer ever prayed. I want to see everything. 
I mean, we're so discouraged and so depressed and dealing with so much grief and worries. We barely get out any prayers at times. And Moses, in the midst of all of that, is asking, I want to see all of you, God. It's the greatest prayer ever prayed. It's amazing. This man has already seen what? Ten natural disasters, the parting of the Red Sea, the Shekinah glory of God burning up the top of Mount Sinai, and said, I want to see more. He really loves God. He really loves God. Second thing I want to say about the prayer is it's impossible for God to answer that. Because it would kill Moses. If Moses saw all of the power of God at one time, no human being has the capacity to be in the presence of that much, that much power. So the Lord says, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. But you cannot see my face or you cannot see all of my glory and live. There's a very precious response to Moses. He asked for power. God said, no, I'll show you goodness. Which is, goodness is a very real thing. I'll explain that in a moment. But the reason why that Moses couldn't see all of the power of God is Moses was basically asking this. God, I want to stand underneath 10,000 Niagara Falls. And God said, well, that would kill you. <laughs> and God said, how about this? How about let me just, you stand before the warmest shower you've ever had in your life. I'm not going to show you my power. I'm going to show you my goodness. The goodness of my peace, the goodness of my love, the goodness of my forgiveness. God, will, he'll define goodness in just a minute. Oh. I mean, I know all of you have been in a shower in the morning or afternoon or after you work in the yard. You just don't want to leave. And somebody outside the shower is probably telling you, get out of the shower. It's, just, it's unbelievable. I just really think that's a, a little small glimpse of the way that heaven feels. The warmest shower of goodness. And the faucet is never turned off. Moses wanted power. God said, goodness. And this is how it happened. The Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft in the rock. I'll cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Don't worry about the metaphors of fat, face and back. God has to, ex we're not exactly as smart as God. So he has to use terms we can understand. So God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock. So that when the Lord's glory passed by, just a little bit would shower Moses, but not so much that it would kill him. And that's exactly how it happened. Moses went back up the mountain. He went back up Sinai. God gave Moses 10 commandments 2.0, rewrote the commandments on a new stone tablet. 
And then the big meeting happened that God just described. And God passed in front of Moses proclaiming, now Moses is hidden inside this rock. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So the Lord comes by and proclaims his own name to Moses. I mean, not me saying the Lord. The Lord saying the Lord. Listen. I have been with so many people in different times of unimaginable crisis that sometimes the only thing I can say to them, either in a text or when I'm praying with them, I will just say, Jesus. It's all I know, Jesus. And even coming off, boy, just, just imagine though, if, that, if those people in that crisis were sitting there and they're crying and they're weeping or they're stressed because of tomorrow, it, you know, marriage, job, whatever, and they're, and they're just praying and they're in agony and all of a sudden they, Jesus himself stood beside them and said, I am Jesus. This is what it felt like that day. I am the Lord, the Lord. And really, it is Jesus here because this is a description of Jesus I'm compassionate, I'm full of grace, I'm slow to anger, I love you, I'm reliable. I'm not going to turn my love off on you. And he's talking to people who just worshiped a metal cow. That's the picture of Jesus. So you really need to love this picture of the Lord here because don't get this two, you know, this two aspect of God going that God's so mean in the Old Testament all of a sudden he turns nice and Jesus This is who God is always. Jesus made it more visible, but that's God. So whatever you're going through, all whatever God's decisions that He's made in your life, which are very hard, it's that's the God who's made the decisions. The compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, reliable God. And Moses heard all of that while he was hiding out in the cleft of the rock. Safe from too much of God. There are several rocks in the Old Testament that brought joy to the people of God. That was one of them. But before that, there was one right after the people of God left Israel, went through the Red Sea. They came to a desert and it was really near Mount Sinai and they were, had been out in the desert. You can imagine what life is like in the desert, how quickly you'd be get dehydrated. And they were afraid that they were going to thirst and die. And so they um, cried out to Moses, we're going to die. The whole Israelite community set out on their travel, traveling from place to place, And they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they cry out to Moses, we're going to die. Moses cries out to God, what should I do? And God said, that stick that you've been carrying in your hand, Moses, raise the stick and strike the rock. And water will come out of it for the people to drink. So I want to give you a challenge. The next time you're leading two and a half million people on a hike, 
and they're on the brink of dehydration and you don't know what to do. Imagine the absurdity of looking at a rock on your hike and with your walking stick striking it and water pouring out of that rock. The reason that I tell you this is because that is what you call a miracle. <laughs> the land couldn't save them. Rivers dried up, couldn't save them. Clouds, none, couldn't save them. They needed a miracle to save them. That's the point of the story. God cannot save you until you realize you have nothing that can save yourself. Nothing in your hand can you bring to God that will erase the, the decisions and the behaviors of your teenage years, your young adult years, where you are now. You cannot erase your past by bringing anything to God. You need a miracle. You cannot fill your life up with peace by anything that you can do, self-will, reading, nothing. God from heaven has to come into your life. It's a miracle. That's the purpose of the rock story. But there's, a, there's even a greater purpose of the rock story, and that is, how did the rock generate the water? Only when Moses did what? He had to strike it and hit it with a stick. We're very fortunate that we know exactly, we know the exact name of that rock in, that, in the wilderness of Rephidim. The rock had a name. The New Testament says the rock was named Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10.4, they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. And so just as Moses had to strike the rock at, the rock at Rephidim in order for life-saving water to pour out, God had to ordain that Jesus Christ would be struck also with a stick before life-giving salvation would flow out to us. Matthew 27, 27, then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and they knelt in front of him and they mocked him. They spit on him and they took the staff and they struck him on the head again and again and then they led him away to crucify him. And so they beat him unmercifully. And what happened because of all that beating? Life flowed out of his body. John 19, 34, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. And with that release of blood and water came the release of God's forgiveness over all of our sins. That's the gospel. Jesus suffered at the hands of man by the ordaining of God so that when his life left his body, God's life would enter ours and our sins would be covered just as the rock covered Moses. Augustus Montague, top lady, was born in Farnham, England, November 4th, 1740 and died in 1778. Um, he was saved uh, at the age of 16 while traveling in Ireland. Uh, went to a revival held in a barn and uh, was then called to ministry and was ordained to preach the gospel in 1762. 
Back in England on a certain day, he was traveling in the, on the English countryside when a massive storm arose and he found shelter by going into a rock and hiding underneath a cliff. And while he was there underneath the cliff of that rock, he pulled out a playing card in his pocket and wrote um, some words which turned out to be, a year later, one of the most famous songs ever in the history of the church. This is the first stanza. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. Augustus' top lady was thinking about the rock that saved Moses, the rock that saved him that day in England, and the rock that saved the world, Jesus Christ. If we will only hide in Jesus. If there's any one thing that my mom knew, it was our only hope in life is Jesus Christ. I wish you could have met her there was not one thing about her life that was self-exalting. If you were around her, you were drawn into her orbit. My friends used to come over to our house. It was the gathering place. But they didn't care whether I was there or not. They came to want to talk to mom and dad. My mom was the greatest question asker. If, you ever th if, if I ever bug you by me asking you a zillion questions, I met a guest at the beginning of the service, I better, ask, I better ask her five or 10 questions. I got all that from mama. She was so interested in you. She was not interested in, in telling you anything about anything she had done because she knew the only hope in life was that the blood of Jesus Christ had covered her sins. That was her only boast from first to last. She didn't think she'd done anything great for God, ever. She thought Jesus had done something huge by bleeding for her. You know, just a few days before Mama died, she, um, she developed an infection um, of, of the urinary tract. And as you know, those things can really cause, especially in older people, a lot of disorientation thinking. And that along with her dementia, um, when my brother was taking her to the doctor, really expressed itself. They were um, driving down Washington Road in Evans, Georgia, probably about 12, 15 miles away from Mama's residence. My brother had picked her up. And mama looked at my brother and said, where am I going to sleep tonight? She had only been away from the uh, assisted living home for 15 minutes. And all of a sudden, as you uh, know with dementia and then the UTI, she was scared. She, nothing looked familiar to her. So Rob said, we're going to go to the doctor, Mom, and then we're going to take you right back to a wonderful, wonderful place tonight to stay. 
Susie, she said, okay. And then she started singing. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. And seven days later, she saw the rock, the living water, the glory of God, Jesus Christ. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.